We have for two readings, Psalm 145. For our first reading, verse 1. I will extol thee, my God, O King. I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty, and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, and I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter thy, the memory of thy great goodness, and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom and talk of thy power to make known of the, of the, to the sons of men his mighty acts and the glorious majesty of his kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations. Will you now please flick over with me to our second reading and it's in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, please, chapter 1. And that's where I run down to verse 25. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, that God, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the, thing, to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world. And the things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and the things which are not, to bring to naught the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Let's pray. Father, will you settle us now in your presence? Bless the children and the leaders that are up in the crash. We're asking you, Lord, that you would bless every one of us under the sound of your word. And Lord, that your word would find a lodging place, that your word would be inscribed in every heart. Lord, that your people would see the blessings that are in you, that are in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we ask you now to take my stammering lips and take me in my frailty and in my inabilities and, Lord, use me as a vessel of glory and honor for you. I worship you and love you, praise you, and bless you, exalt you, Lord Jesus. And there's none like you. We ask it in your name and for your glory. Amen. Chosen by greatness for greatness. Part two. Chosen by greatness. The reason we have called it chosen by greatness is from Psalm 145, we read that God is a great God. That the greatest person, the greatest person on planet Earth could never in any way sense 
shape or form come close to reaching the very lowest, as it were, using it in human terms, the very lowest or the weakness of God, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The weakness of God is in verse uh, 25, or the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In other words, the weakness of God is the flesh in Christ Jesus, which was crucified to the cross. And still the cross is greater than all of men's ideologies and philosophies and thinkings of who they are, what they can do, where they can attain to, that the cross of Jesus Christ is foolishness in the eyes of the world, but it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And so, in that sense, the weakness of God was when God became man, walked the scene of time, was nailed to a cross, and that was the weakness, as it were, of God, but yet it was the strength, the glory, and the power, the beauty, the wonder, and the majesty of Almighty God. Nailed to the cross to redeem you and me. So here we have the greatness of Psalm 145. God is great in everything. He's great at doing everything. He's great in his works, great in his wonders, great in his ways. He's high and lifted up. He's lofty above all others, above all else, above everything and everyone. God is so majestic and mighty. You and I could never, ever attain to the standard that God would, would want for you and I to enter the kingdom or heaven. Because we looked last week at the greatness of God in contrast to uh, man's weakness, man's depraved humanity. So we looked at God's maje- majesty or God's majestic ways, God's majestic person, and we come right down then to man's moronic ways, man's moronic foolishness. We also looked at how God is a determined God. God was determined, God is determined, and his determination is for you. His determination is that he would save you, cleanse you, redeem you, forgive you, justify you, declare you righteous, and it's nothing to do with you. It's all to his praise, his honor, and his glory. And so it shows God's determination But it shows man's depravity and his inability to save himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, our reading, tells us of the foolishness that you and I were in, the foolish things of the world, the foolish men and women. And that word foolish is the word moros. We'll look at it maybe a little later on. And it means that you and I were moronic before God. You see, before a man and before a woman can be saved, before a man and before a woman can be forgiven, and if a man or if a woman have the the, the thought or, or the desire or the thinking of heaven at all, the kingdom of God at all, the man and the woman must first see themselves who they are in their own state. And if you don't, you'll never be saved. Because it takes a man and a woman to realize they're a sinner before God. It takes a man and a woman that it's not simply come to Jesus and he'll make things 
good for you. Come to Jesus and he'll make you feel better. Come to Jesus and he'll just bless you abundantly. That's not the gospel of salvation. The gospel of salvation is this. See yourself outside of Christ. See who you really are. See who you and I have the the nature or the germs from, which is Adam. Fallen and depraved and unable to save ourselves no matter how hard we try. No matter where we go, no matter what we do, no matter the works, the alms, the deeds, no matter the, the blessings, no matter what denomination it is, no matter whether it's Protestant or Catholic or Muslim or Jew or whoever, that outside of Christ, man and woman are depraved, unable to save themselves. They are lost completely. They are in the pit, the sewer of this world. And God views that. God sees that. God looks upon that as moronic. It's put in a nice English word, foolishness, or foolish. It means what it means. It means that we, outside of Christ, believers, before we were saved, no matter our denomination, we were moronic. Might have led a good life. It was still moronic. To think you could bring Christ an offering for sin outside of his own. To think you could bring the Father something for salvation outside of the blood of Jesus. To think you could pay money. To think that you could do good works and deeds and alms for your salvation, that is. They're all good to do, but for your salvation. To think that you could add or give or go anywhere or, or try and supply something that you may be saved. Uh, uh, it's just folly. It's vanity. It's pride before God. It's moronic before God. That's how God views it. But to see yourself in Christ, is different altogether. Trusting in his finished work. Trusting in Christ alone. Trusting that his shed blood was that which paid the full penalty, the full debt of our sin. Trusting in Christ by grace through faith and nothing else. And a man and a woman cannot be saved without seeing themselves first. Who we are, who we were, who you are, outside of Jesus. And to see ourselves as totally helpless. We know we have quite a few children in our church. There's quite a lot of children in our church. Some of them are running around a little now. Some of them are going around the furniture of the house. and Some of them are starting to speak and talk in words, lines, sentences, paragraphs. Where they're starting to to have communication with their parents. and But some are just newborn and they're still lying helpless on their back. Little born babies. Can you imagine asking that baby? I'm going upstairs. I'll be ten flights up. I want you to come to me. I want you to get up and walk and come to me. Now you're looking at a newborn baby. Is it possible? The answer is absolutely not. It needs someone to come down 
to lift it, to nourish it, to feed it, to clean it, to carry it, until it has the strength to do it. Such is salvation that you and I are totally incapacitated before God. Completely, totally and utterly incapacitated before God. And God comes to you. He came to you in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus. To die for you, to lift you up. To carry you, to nourish you, to cleanse you, to forgive you. And now he expects you to walk with him. Now he expects you, now that you're growing up in Christ, to walk as maturing sons of God, maturing adopted sons and daughters, to walk in Christ and to to walk in newness of life. But salvation must be first seen by the person who they are outside of Christ, that your works are like filthy rags before God. In other words, Isaiah the prophet is speaking for God to Israel and he says, Israel, you're trying to do deeds outside of the true worship of Jehovah. Your works are like filthy rags, God says. But we're doing our best, filthy rags. We're working our hardest, filthy rags. We're cleaning up our act, it's filthy rags. Filthy rags before God. And that's what a man and a woman must see themselves. Here are two portions of scripture we see in comparison. One is the greatness of our God and the greatness of his person and the greatness of his ways and the greatness of his glory. And we see all of that. And and now in 1 Corinthians, uh, in our reading, we, we see Paul saying, this is who we were, past tense believer, past tense, but not anymore. That's who we were. We were like in a moronic state. We were foolish. We were depraved. We were incapacitated, unable to help and save ourselves before God. But this great God in all his greatness and glory clothed himself in flesh, came and walked among us, hung and bled and died on a cross, went to the tomb, rose from the grave on the third day, has ascended into heaven and sent us his Holy Spirit until he returns again to lift us up. You know what he calls you this morning, believer? Christian, born again, child of God, saint. Do you know what he calls you? He calls you his son. And he calls you his daughter. Children of God. In 1 Corinthians, in our reading, in verse 26 says, For you see your calling... Now, Paul's writing to the church of Corinth. Notice what he says. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world And things which are despised hath God chosen, yea. And things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Three times God hath chosen, God hath chosen, God hath chosen. 
We said last week the word eklegome is the word here for chosen. It means to pick out or to choose for oneself. You think about this. Greatness has come. Greatness has come. That is, Almighty God himself, greatness has come, and he has picked you out, believer. He's picked you out. He picked me out. He's picked us out from all different walks of life, from all different sinful lifestyles. It means to pick out and to choose for oneself. It gives the idea of choosing one out of many or the idea of choosing one and choosing an office for them. Let me give you a couple of examples. We'll not turn to them all, but let me just give you, and you can look at them when you go home. But in first, or Genesis chapter 12, the Lord tells Abram, who becomes Abraham, who hasn't even a son yet, tells old father Abraham, listen to what he says. He says that you shall be great. But I'm only a man from the era of the Chaldees, Lord. He says, yeah, you are, but when you come to me and by faith you're walking in me, believing in my word, you'll be great. You'll be a father of many nations. He says, I have a great promise for you. Right in the book of Genesis, he starts calling to make his seed great. Here's something for you to look at, and let's flick through them uh, very quickly, please, also. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. And let your eye run down. Just one verse for time's sake. You can read these chapters, if you wish, when you go home. Let your eye run down to verse 5, please. Deuteronomy chapter 8, sorry, 18, I can hardly see, 18, pardon me, verse 5, for the Lord thy God hath chosen him, that is Levi, chosen him out of all the tribes to stand, to minister in the name of the Lord, him and his sons forever. Notice this, God out of 12 tribes chose Levi to be the tribe to minister. He had already pre-planned and purposed that there would be a, a choice of office for the tribe of Levi. In fact, Psalm 105, please. I know this is a bit like a, a Bible study, but sure it'll do you no harm. Psalm 105, one verse, just verse 26. Verse 26 says, And he sent Moses his servant and Aaron, whom he had chosen. Speaking of going to Pharaoh, he sent Moses and Aaron, whom he had chosen. God has a choice. We don't like sometimes to admit that, but God has a choice. Jeremiah, this must be one of the more popular, or if I could call, uh, for want of a better word, famous one, the Jeremiah place, chapter 1. And I think most people will know this verse, Jeremiah chapter 1, and let your eye run down. Again, for time's sake, to verse 5. Let's go to verse 4. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, 
before. Notice, not when or after. Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth from the womb, I sanctified thee, and I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. The Lord says, I had already a plan and a purpose already for your life. I had already chosen you out of your tribe. I had already chosen you from eternity past onto a ministry to be a prophet. But I had already ordained it that I would sanctify you even before you were born. Even before you were born. In Acts chapter 9 and verse 15. Let's go to the New Testament just for another one. Acts chapter 9, please, and verse 15. Paul has been arrested, as it were, by our Lord, risen Lord, on the Damascus Road. And he's now in Straight Street, blind. The Lord talks to Ananias to go and lay hands on him that he may receive his sight back. And listen to what it says, Acts chapter 9 and verse 15. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Notice that. God says, I have chosen this man, a man who stood as a human clothes hanger whenever they gave their coats to to Saul of Tarsus while they stoned uh, Stephen. Uh, And Saul was the the, the man who they led, the young man who led, uh, they led all their coats around him. And he held it while they committed murder. This is the same Saul who took the children of God, i.e. the believers, and put them into prison and seen some of them put to death and chased them around the country. And God says, while he was doing all that, I have him chosen. While there's people in their sin, God still had them chosen. Why there were people in nightclubs, God had them chosen. Why there were people lying in alcoholism, God had them chosen. People lying in the streets with no homes, God had them chosen. People who were getting up to no good, God had them chosen. So you cannot, brothers and sisters, say, God cannot reach him and God cannot reach her. And we must not reach out to those people. For they seem rather foolish and depraved because we were all like that in God's eyes. Every single one of us. And we must preach to every creature and let God do his own work. Jesus says, and I, if I be lifted up from off the earth, I will draw all men unto me. Speaking of him being crucified between heaven and earth on a stake or a cross. And the idea there in the Greek is, he says, and I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. The idea is, I will draw all types of people. That's why the church is a rescue shop from within a yard of hell. Or it should be. That's why the church should be an hospital for the spiritually uh, injured. That's why the church should be that place where people come to find help. You see, Christ reaches the lost and he goes out to every sort of person, man and woman and boy and girl, good living, religious homes and lifestyles. People have grown up in Protestant religion. I grew up as a Presbyterian, but you wouldn't have thought it. 
because I didn't know anything about it. But I wasn't saved. Yet my family's name was on the church roll. I'm not worried about being on a church roll because I know from before the foundation of the earth, my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. I didn't know it when I was in my sin. I didn't know it when I was getting up to no good. But God knew it, pre-planned it, and he knew the ministry he would bring me into. He knows the ministry he has for you and bringing you into it because God has already chosen that for your life. The idea is not the stress to get into it, but believe God that he will lead you into it. And the door will open that no man can shut. So here we have God, just a few instances of what God can do for you, what God has planned for you. There's a purpose in your life, and God has a reason for you to be here, even this morning, to hear it. First of all, a man and a woman must see their totally helpless, depraved self, even, even if that means you're a church goer, good living. Whether it means you come to Elam on a Sunday morning just because you want to go to church or Sunday night because you want to go to church or whether you come to a Presbyterian church or you go to a Baptist church or a Church of Ireland or a Methodist or you don't go at all and you just like to live a sort of a, a human, humanistic, moralistic lifestyle that pleases your neighbors and well in society. That is not salvation. Salvation is by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ realizing, Lord, Without you, no matter how hard I try, no matter what I do, whether it's going to, to chapel and rubbing rosaries or taking a mass or doing whatever, a communion, and bowing before a man who says, kiss this ring and bow at my feet and you can go and join our assemblies or whatever. None of it, not one single iota of it will help you enter heaven. No matter how hard you try, we must see ourselves as totally and completely incapacitated before the living God. But then we see ourselves when we bow the knee and proclaim Christ as Lord, repenting of our sin to him and him alone, claiming his finished work on Calvary. And when we see that, and when we receive him, then we see ourselves different. Then we see ourselves heaven-bound, kingdom glory. We see ourselves who we are in Christ, filled with the Spirit, washed in the blood, forgiven of our sins, sanctified unto God, looking into ministry, going to serve the Lord in our day and daily living. That's what we see when we see ourselves in Christ. But outside of him, we see nothing. We have nothing. Listen to what Jesus said, John 15. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go, forth, go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatsoever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Here Jesus says, you didn't choose me. You were at your fishing nets. Peter and Andrew, James and John. You didn't have any idea of me. 
but I came to you. Now, Christian, you didn't have any idea of Almighty God when you got saved. I didn't have. We had heard about a God. We had heard stories about Jesus. We had heard things at Christmas time and things at Easter time and all of these sort of times. And we were hearing these stories maybe in a Sunday school. But we never truly, really realized there was a living God. Neither did we ever have any idea how low we were and how much in need we were of salvation. Your life could be the most prosperous life on this earth. Multi-million billionaire and have everything, yet you're poor. Yet you are poor. And you could be poor and have Christ. And yet you'd be the richest man in the universe. You know why? Because of the greatness that lives in you. You're chosen by greatness for what? For a a mundane life? A powerless existence? A religiosity, Christian sort of walk? No, you're chosen by greatness for greatness. The climax of our greatness will be when Christ returns. The climax will be when our bodies are changed. But you can show the kingdom greatness now in your life. In your life now. By trusting him. Learning to walk with him. Commune with him. Fellowship with him. Loving him. And then when you're out there showing the people the grace the glory, the goodness, and the power of God in your life. In Acts chapter 13 and verse 17, listen to what it says. It says, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers. Isn't that nice? But listen, there's more. It says, the God of this people Israel chose or chose our fathers. And exalted the people. And exalted the people. Here's the thing. You see, we tend to think it's all about us. In a sense, the the, the gospel message, we can see as we've been showing you how in eternity past God knew you, pre-planned what you would be doing in his kingdom. And then we think when it comes to our enlightenment, uh, the regeneration of the spirit and the quickening of the Holy Ghost and the reading of God's word and the fellowship with the Lord, we tend to think, well, you know what then? Since all of this, it's all about me. It's not. It's not about you. It's for you. It's all about him. This gospel is not about you. It's for you. It's about him. That in you, he would be glorified. We should glorify God in our lives and enjoy him forever. This gospel is not about me. It's not about who I am or what I can do. It shows the the, the pit that people are in humanity as a whole. It shows their emptiness. It shows their depravity. It shows their nothingness. 
don't know if that's a word or not, but we'll use it anyway. And it shows the greatness of God coming right down into our moronic lifestyles and lifting us up to greatness and glory with him. That's the idea of this gospel. Ulrich Swingley. In case you don't know who that is, he was a reformer. But Ulrich Zwingli said this. He says, the Christian life is one perpetual good work which God begins, continues, and completes. Let me say it again. The Christian life is one perpetual good work which God begins, continues, and completes. Do you know how I get through this Christian lifestyle with all my failures and faults? I get through by him coming to me, living in me, carrying me in the grace of God, abounding over all of it. And everything is to do with him. The whole salvation. You know, if you realize this, this will take the pressure off you. You know that pressure where you think, I can't keep this anymore. Guess what? You're not keeping it anyhow. He's keeping you. He's keeping you. This should also cause us to live right. To live right. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians, please. And while you're looking there, here's something I want to just run by from our last verse. It says that. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people. See the idea for exalted? You know what the word is? It's the word hoopseo. And it means to raise up to the very summit. It means to bring to the summit of opulence, prosperity, dignity, dignity and honor. In other words, God, when he was worshipped and then centralized in Israel, his glory was known to all the nations. That's the idea that, that, that Israel were to be a light unto the nations. And when the, God was in the midst and raising up a nation, you think of Solomon, even the stones in the streets became like gold. It was that prosperous all over but they prospered in spirit before they prospered in material. They prospered before Almighty God. In other words, he raised them up to a summit. Wars were won. Land was conquered. Boundaries were extended. All because he came and raise them up. Do you know how you're going to get through? Do you know how you're going to end up in the kingdom? Because God came and he's raising you up. Ephesians 1, please, verse 3. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him 
in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Here God in eternity looked down through time, as it were, before there were time even, space, fall of Adam, right through even till you were rescued. And he looked down through time through the magnifying glass of the cross of Christ. And when he puts that magnifying glass on that cross of Christ, he finds no blame. He finds no spot. He finds no blemish. He finds no wrinkle. He did no sin. He was yet without sin. He was holy, harmless, and undefiled. And when the Father looks at him, the Father is well pleased with his sacrifice. And you and I who believe in Christ alone and his sacrifice alone, when he looks at you and I through time, he already in his mind had planned that you would be saved. Looking through Christ, he sees no sin in me. He sees no sin in you because we are trusting in the blood of Jesus. I notice this, what it says in Ephesians 1 and 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. I've been doing a wee study on the word according. Not a study, I've mentioned it a few times to you, and it means, it's the word kata, and it means down. It gives the idea of something that is under a control. And it gives the idea of something that is, that is hovering over in order to keep in place. And your salvation in mind from the found, before the foundation of the world, God has tightly and closely guarded that. And the word according here goes, it refers to uh, verse 3 because he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. In other words, the blessing proceeds from the divine election of God. In other words, he says, because I have chosen them and I am closely guarding, I am controlling, as it were, when they go to the left hand or the right, and they think they've fallen and failed and can't come back, he says, my grace overpowers them. My power keeps them going. Nothing shall pluck them from my hand, he says. That's the idea, and God says, and I, I am obligated. God is obligated, and the blessing of the sons of God. It's because he has done it. And God is obligated to his own word. You see your salvation is nothing to do with you. Your keeping has nothing to do with you. See the word here. He's chosen us. According to he has chosen us. Before, before, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love. See the word before. The word before here is a word, uh, well, there's two words for before. It's a word, kata nopion. 
And again, the word kata is for according. Gives the idea of that guarding hand, that domination, that control. In other words, when the, when the apostle is telling us here that we are without blame before him in love, it gives the idea that we are at the very face of God every day. And his love dominates your life. It's the domination of the love of God over the believer, the believer's life. So when you think you're not loved, and when you think that you're not up to much, and when you think there's no calling on your life, and when you think that you're useless, and when you think that God's given up on you, and when you think you can't turn around and, and say, Father, I've sinned today, or, or I've let you down, or whatever, and you think that you're going astray, and you can never come back to the Father's house, His love dominates you every day. Dominates you, guards you, because from before the foundation of the world, he chose you and he called you. Now he dominates you with his love. This isn't in a, in a negative, evil, illegal sense, but in a positive one. I have to wrap this up. Time's flowing, your attention's tremendous. You see, the word catanopion, it means before the face of or in the presence of. The word cat, as I said, means down, domination, control, down, according to. It means something that presses down. And before him and love gives the idea like this. The word pra means before also. So if I'm coming to a door, and the feminists won't like me saying this, but I still do it. I open the door for a lady. You go first. I open the door every time for my wife, and I say, on you go. It's not because I'm such a gentleman. It's just something I do. It's not because she can't open the door herself. It's just something I do. The word pra means to go before. Here, catanopion means, gives the idea that God has a staring gaze. Looking down, filled not with wrath for his children, not with wrath for those who are under the blood, not with wrath, but with love. God stares down. It means he stared down from eternity past to the present, to the future, and he stares down even this present moment like my children or your children, we play about the room, be unconscious of you. You're watching them sometimes, and you ever get your giggle sometimes, you hear them say something or do something. They don't know that you're actually watching them. It's the idea. Only God is consciously looking down. And you're before him in love. Love is agape. A love that is called out of the heart according to the preciousness of the object that is loved. You understand how precious you are, believer? Do you understand how precious you are? Do you understand that you're so precious the world couldn't afford you? What shall a profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what should a man give in exchange for his soul? Do you realize your soul was so precious nothing could pay for you? But the greatness of God became flesh and hung on a cross and bled and died. 
went to the grave and arose the third day as ascended into heaven. That God's will would be done. That the Father would be glorified in the redemption of his choice. Understand how precious you are. You're precious. The Lord done all of that for you. And you might say as I close, well, tell me. What about me if I'm not saved? If I've never come to saving faith in Jesus and my religion, denomination or whatever won't save me, how do I know if I'm God's elect choice? This is how you know. You know God's speaking to you. You sense it. How will I know? You'll know. And you'll say, you know, I can't save myself. I realize that now. So then you call upon the name of the Lord, trusting in him alone, and he will save you. And then you'll know. And you can rejoice that he came to you, quickened you through regeneration of the Holy Spirit, gave you that gift of repentance unto salvation and grace through faith you've accepted Christ as Lord. That's how you'll know. That's how you know. Never got to the word foolish this morning. The foolish things, the moronic things it says that which is despised even in the world sometimes you know God looks at it in all our sin and even the world may say ah there's no hope for him he's an alcohol a druggie a homeless person who'd think of them the Lord says see people like that I raise them up doesn't mean to say the rich can't be saved now that's not what that means. We'll have to go into that another day. I might do another one. I don't know. We'll see how the Lord leads me. So the foolish things. There was five wise and five foolish virgins. Five wise brought oil in their vessel and their lamps. And the foolish, they ran out of oil. It means, well, they started acting up in moronic ways. They didn't think. It means they were dull of mind. They were dull of heart. And they became senseless and stupid. That's the idea of it. And it actually talks to the moral quality of someone. And they were morally without character. And so were you and I until Christ came and saved us. And God bless his word to us this morning. I'll see how we get on um, with that. And again, the word moros or moronic is quite strong. So it's not meant to be an offense. It's meant to show people outside of Jesus who you are, who I was. And our depraved nature, but then in Christ we are sons and daughters, children of the living God. God bless us this morning, and thank you for your attention.